Welcome to episode 50 of the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. We began this show back in late 2012. Now, after 25 hours of storytelling and 28 authors, we've finally reached episode 50. Thank you, faithful listeners, for supporting this show. We're trying to build new worlds and tell original stories. Frankly, there aren't many doing this on a regular basis, and we at the Untold Podcast are thrilled to have your support. I also want to take the time to thank my family. Both my wife's parents and my own have done quite a bit to help make this show possible. They have purchased software, audio libraries, headphones, a microphone, microphone stand, pop filter, shock absorber, and more. These have been birthday and Christmas presents over the last four years, and it's made a huge difference in the quality of this show. Thank you, John, Mary Ann, Zen, and Jane. I'm excited about this special episode. Our author is one I have followed for a number of years. The story of how I discovered him is rather interesting. Quite some time ago, I had a great idea for a novel in a series I was working on. After some preliminary sketches and writing, I began to do some historical research into the subject matter. Over the course of my research, I discovered someone had already written a similar story. Undeterred, I picked up a copy of the book, convinced I could tell a better story, and after reading the first chapter of The Year of the Warrior... I abandoned my story idea. Normally, I would have been frustrated or angry, but I couldn't be. The story pulled me in. It was raw, exciting beauty. I've been reading stories by this episode's author ever since. I am thrilled to introduce you to Lars Walker. Lars Walker is a native of Kenyon, Minnesota, and is a graduate of Augsbury College, Minneapolis. He grew up on a farm and has worked as a crab meat packer in Alaska, a mail clerk, an administrative assistant, a radio announcer, and is now librarian and bookstore manager for the schools of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations in Minneapolis. He is editor of the Journal of the Grog Sverdrup Society and is a Viking reenactor and Norwegian translator. His website is www.larswalker.com, and he blogs at www.brandywinebooks.net. He is the author of the Norse saga novels, including the aforementioned The Year of the Warrior, West Over Sea, and Hailstone Mountain. Lars Walker is also the author of Troll Valley, the fairy tale your grandparents never told you, as well as the near-future dystopian time-traveling novels Wolf Time, and Death's Doors. You can find links to everything in our show notes. Today's story was originally published in Amazing Science Fiction Stories, Volume 58, Number 4, in November of 1984. It was actually Lars Walker's first published work. So now, without further ado, The Untold Podcast is proud to present One Final Dragon 
by Lars Walker. be here for the dragon then, said the old man. It was getting dark, and I couldn't make out exactly where on the riverbank his voice was coming from. He sounded as if he was chewing on something large and adhesive. It's always the dragon, he said. I pitched my bundle, all my clothes knotted around my sword, onto the bank and heaved up onto the cool stones. My back twitching with exertion and autumn chill. One time there was a fairy here, the unseen old man continued. I'll tell you what happened to it, if you'd like. One night, the ferryman brought across a woman dressed in black. When they got to this side, he saw that she was the plague maiden. He said, If I had known who you were, I'd have never brought you over. But since I have, surely you'll repay me by sparing my life. And the woman said, You'll have your reward, all right. A quick death. And he fell down dead. And that was the end of the fairy service, hereabouts. Not that there was anybody left to use it, anyway. The ferryman's skull is still here someplace. I could find it and show it to you. I dragged myself onto my feet and shook like a dog, then unwound my cloak and used it for a towel. It was grey Iceland Wadmal, rough and warm. I said, I've heard the same story about fairies in five different districts of Norway. I started dressing. Wonderful how that girl got around, isn't it? said the old man. I thought I could make him out in the gloom now, squatting on a rock up above. Five, you say? That comes after four and before six. I pulled on my boots buckled my sword belt, and shook out the cloak and put it on. I then pulled on a long-tailed hood of the same stuff. Warm again, I spoke. My name is Braggy Sunason, I said. I need to find the farmstead of Ormsley before nightfall. Follow me, said the old man, straightening up so I could see him. He didn't have far to straighten, being built for close communion with the earth. The evidence of that communion was spread pretty thickly on him. He carried a heavy belly that drooped over his rope belt. I am the master of Ormsley, he said. You're the master? I asked. He drew himself up and said, There is none greater than I for miles about. Then he grinned. He had black teeth, and few of them. There is none but I for miles about, and I'd know if there were. I can count. You're the only plague survivor. Ah, the bitch never touched me. I just don't attract women. Heaven knows why. I said, I must beg your hospitality. Come along. We'll talk about the dragon. He turned and disappeared up the slope. I followed. You know where I can find the dragon? I asked. He reappeared at a turning of the path above. What did you say? He asked. I picked up my pace. The dragon, I cried. 
What dragon? He disappeared again. I cursed him and followed up the mountain, into the tall spruce and pine. We'd crossed the timber line into birch and heather before we stopped. I'm an old campaigner, long-boned and enduring, but I was pretty nearly spent when he led me into the derelict farmstead. By the thin light of the setting sun, I saw a few ruined outbuildings, a byre and smithy and slaves' quarters scattered around a hall. A few browsing goats raised their heads and surveyed us without alarm. The hall itself was ancient, built in an old style of upright posts and waddle and daub. Its thatched roof had collapsed here and there. The old man opened a door near one end and beckoned me in with an exaggerated gesture. I found myself alone in a foul entry chamber full of cobwebs and goat stink. I turned and pushed into the main hall, which was just as filthy but not so cramped. It was a relic of the Viking days with the old-fashioned low ledges running along both sides for walking and sitting on, leaving a kind of trench down the center where a small long fire burned. There was an elaborate high seat midway down the left-hand wall, and a guest seat faced it on my right. I went and sat in the guest seat. The old man appeared out of a door, probably the kitchen door, down at the far end. He was carrying a pair of cracked wooden bowls. Two bowls, he said. He counted them. One, two. I'm an educated man. He handed one to me. I found goat cheese and whey in it, then scrambled into the high seat and ate with his fingers. Dig in, he said. Wonderful stuff. What more does a man need? I'd seen shorter rations and occasionally eaten them out of dirtier vessels. The cheese was surprisingly good. When we'd finished, he licked his fingers and said, Now you'll have to pay for your dinner with news. What year have we got to? The year of our Lord, 1360, I said. Let's see, the plague came when? 1349. How many years since? I'm an educated man, but I've never learned my takeaways. It's about eleven years. Eleven? <laughs> eleven years I've been master of Ormsley. What about the dragon? Hush, he said. How are things with King Magnus? I swallowed my impatience, judging that the old goiter was best humored. It's a bit complicated, I said. We're united with Sweden for the time being. Magnus's son, Hokan is king of Norway under his father, who is king of Norway and Sweden jointly. It's hard to explain, he said. I understand perfectly, in a guileless voice that made me want to wring his neck. We just fought a war with Denmark over the Skane region, I continued. I was there. We lost. You should have tried harder. I'll remember that next time. He sat for a minute and pondered his new knowledge. At last, he said, How many fingers and toes do you have? Counting them all, I mean. Twenty, I said. Twenty? He cried, jumping and wriggling. That's the number? Twenty? 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 
I can count, you see. I, I am an educated man, and I can count on my fingers uh, up to ten, or on my toes up to ten, but I can't count them all t together. But if I can remember twenty, well, then I'll have twenty, you know. Oh, twenty, a wonderful, oh, a wonderful number. I agreed that it was a marvelous number, and asked, Now, what about that dragon? He put one of his ten fingers in his mouth, and said, What dragon? I swallowed my irritation, like an unchewed dumpling, and said, The dragon you were talking about the first moment I saw you. He dropped his head on his shoulders, and looked at me sideways. I'm just a crazy old man who tells stories, he said, and a story is the only place you'll find a dragon nowadays. Between the hunting and the plague, they just died out. Poof! Do you know dragons can get the plague? They can, unless they're very careful. They have to use their fire to cleanse their caves, and they have to get proper exercise and watch who they eat. You seem to know a lot about dragons, I said. I know a lot of stories. I like stories. Tell me a story about the dragon at Ormsley. The old eyes narrowed. The master of Ormsley, he said. You told me about that. He nodded horizontally, letting the finger pop out of his mouth. I heard a rumor in Uppsala, I told him. I followed the rumor to Bergen. In Bergen they told me that somewhere in the uplands there was a farm called Ormsley, back in the wastes where no one has lived since the plague. They said that there a dragon sleeps on its hoard, old and knobbly and wicked, dreaming hot dreams of greed and running blood. Dragons tell wonderful stories. Tell me some. Men shouldn't have hunted the dragon so. They're wise and ancient creatures, and they know wonderful things. They know about the caves under the earth, and the skies above, and all the dwellers in them. They know about dwarves, and giants, and witches. They know the lands of Prester John, and Vinland beyond the sea. What do they say about these things? She tells me. She tells you? I leapt to my feet. I-I-I-I didn't mean that. He shook himself upright, folded his arms, and began to whistle. You said she tells me, I cried. And you said she. How did it get to be a she-dragon? Half the dragons are she's. You said there weren't any dragons. Well, what do I know? I jumped across the fire trench. He leapt too, but I caught him by the shirt. You know the dragon, don't you? I shouted. You keep company with it. You listen to dragonish stories all day long, and it's twisted your mind. You're twisting my arm, he whimpered. I'll bet you feed the dragon. You bring it goats to eat. That's why it lets you live. There, there, there's no dragons in the real world. Everybody knows that. The real world is bung full of all kinds of monsters. He grinned at me and winked. You shouldn't hunt dragons, he said. Can you take a warning? Uh, stay away. There is a dragon, then, 
Can you muzzle the wild ox? Can you put a bit in its mouth and make it serve you? Can you give me a simple answer? You can't hunt dragons and simple answers, too. One or the other, not both. I'm not interested in dragonish proverbs. <laughs> then you've come to the wrong place. The old man gave a sudden wriggle and leapt like a spatter of hot grease for the entryway, leaving a piece of shirt in my hand. I followed him out. Then I followed him up the mountain. The night was black under a sliver of moon. But with the old man whooping and laughing as he ran ahead of me, I had no trouble following him. He led me up a steep and rugged incline, and I climbed until my lungs were bursting. If I'd had time to think, I might have been more cautious, but I hadn't, and I wasn't. I hardly noticed the smell of smoke until it had been in my nose for some time. Not wood smoke. This was more acrid, more like burning pitch. I found its source at last in a cave whose entrance glowed slightly beneath an overhang that projected like the upper lip of a weak-jawed man. A sound like a giant's bellows working came from somewhere inside. I approached, trying without success to move silently. I had a moment of quiet clarity then, when all the things a large reptile can do to a man unrolled in my mind like a tapestry, rich in color and texture. But I shook my head and turned my thoughts to a memory. There had been a night in a tent on some battleground, a cold night long ago full of the stench of soaked wool and a bitter wind that moaned like a thing beaten. I had been sitting huddled in the mud with old Hans and some fellow my own age who didn't live long enough after to leave much impression. I killed a dragon myself once, old Hans said. All by yourself? I asked, smiling as my teeth chattered. So, I had help. That's nothing to be ashamed of. And what's this? He fumbled in his shirt and came out with an object strung on a leather thong like an amulet. It looked like a horn from a bull. Do you ever see anything like that, you young piece of pig dropping? That's the smallest claw I could find on the carcass. And this ring? He thrust forward a gnarled hand which bore a large, twisted gold ring on the index finger. This is all I have left of the dragon's hoard. Where's the rest? How much gold can you carry on your back? We took out what we could and went to hire a cart for the rest. But when we returned, the cave was empty. I suppose another dragon came along and took the hoard for its own. Even the carcass was gone. God knows what became of that. How did you go in for the kill? Dragons breathe fire. Ah, that's the sport of the thing. Pay attention. You see... A dragon has to rear up and throw its head back like this to unleash its flame. At that moment, it also spreads its wings. 
if you're very fast and very cool-minded, and believe me, I was in those days, you can rush in and strike it in its weakest spot, just here. He indicated a point on his left breast, almost under the armpit. Strike just there, he said. Your blade slides in as if into butter and severs the great vein to the heart. Then get the hell out of the way and give it time to die. He sat silent for a moment. Then he said, Of course, all the dragons are gone now. A pity that. The story had burrowed like a worm in my mind through the years. Now, after the rout in Skane, the shame and the panic, something naive and necessary had gotten mislaid in my life. I wanted it back, because I'd seen my own death in its lack. When I heard of the Ormsley dragon, I knew where to go to find it. I drew my sword and with care walked to the cave. Come in, said a harsh voice with an odd accent. It sounded as if it came from far below, so there would be a drop-off ahead. I'd have to watch my step. I said nothing. Old Hans had told me one other thing that night. Whatever you do, don't get into a discussion with it. I edged in. The overhang was easily high enough for me to enter without stooping. The glowing I'd notice seemed to come from far within. I moved forward. Suddenly, my feet were snatched from under me, and the whole world went flying upward. My left hand grabbed uselessly for purchase. My right instinctively clutched my sword all the tighter. That's one of the few things experience has taught me. I fetched up hard at the foot of a kind of stone slipway coated with what seemed to be animal fat. Probably goat. Stunned, I got to my feet in a vaulted chamber lit from no obvious source. The glow might have come from the mountainous pile of shining things before me, or it might have come from the dragon that sprawled atop it, making it look modest in size. I wasn't prepared for the sheer magnitude of the thing. Size itself seemed to club me like a hammer blow to the stomach. She loomed like a universe of her own, a black constellation of scales and knobs and claws and ballooning fat belly flesh. Her bat wings swathed her like a leather cloak, and yellow sour smoke rose from her nostrils. I blinked at the horde. Vision danced over silver and gold, gems and wonders from a craftsman's fantasy. At this point, I remembered my dagger and all but lost the old man's cheese and whey. I raised my guard, but the dragon hadn't moved. You can't imagine how happy I am to have a visitor, she rasped. I'm fond of the old man here but he can be tiresome in large quantities. With a wave of her wing, she indicated the old man, crouched now on a ledge up on my right, grinning and chewing. How do? the fellow said. 
Here's where I got my education. I said nothing. I noticed that my left hand was thickly coated with goat fat. I wiped it on my breeches, which didn't help since my breeches were just as greasy. He's not talking, the old man observed. Someone probably warned him not to, the dragon replied. They told him, whatever you do, don't get into a discussion with a dragon. Am I correct, Yellowbeard? The Yellowbeard was mine, but I only stood there, tense and quiet. I had expected to get straight into the action. I grant that as it worked out, that would have killed me, but I disliked having to wait for a first move from my quarry. Well, he's nice to look at anyway, the dragon continued, turning back to the old man. A kind of feminine lilt in the raspy voice made me uncomfortable. If he won't say anything, at least he has the virtue of being decorative, with that long, strong body and golden beard. I'm fond of beautiful things, like this belt. She picked up a silver-plated belt from the hoard and held it up, dangling from a claw the size of a hunting horn. Pretty thing, isn't it? Hammered work from Persia. This goes back, oh, three hundred years. I got it off a Swedish trading party in Russia, back in my thieving days. Those old Vikings could put up a fight, I'll tell you. I had great sport then. Sick transit, Gloria. I thought, I've lost my mind. I'm standing here listening to a dragon. If this goes on, I'll be just like that old man. I needed to make something happen. I leapt, sword swinging in both hands. The dragon casually extended one clawed wing and bowled me over backward, head over tail, like a puppy. I came up again, quickly, sword at the ready, only to slip on a patch of goat grease and land on my seat again. I got up, hunched and angry. I had to will my right hand to relax on the sword grip a bit. It was going numb. The dragon sat and studied me for a moment, her horse head oscillating at the end of her curved neck like something disembodied. Finally, she swung it toward the old man. He's a stone, she said. Not a peep from him. He's a wonderful canny one, he is, the old man agreed. She shrugged her wings. Well, shall we try our lesson? She asked. She held up three claws. How many fingers? Four. Close. Try again. Count them one at a time. This went on for a few minutes. He never makes any progress, she told me when it was over. His memory is moth-eaten, and he has no concentration at all. Still, it passes the time and gives us a shared activity. She sighed with a sound like the frying of a hundred thousand sausages. Have you ever considered, she asked, how deadly dull it would be to guard a treasure for six hundred years? If anyone ever tells you that money isn't everything, you can tell them from me that they know what they're talking about. In fact, when you think of it, nothing is everything. She seemed to fall into a reverie then, and I tried to think of a way to get her mad enough to take offensive action. Would calling her names do it? Can you write? She asked suddenly. Hmm. Still not speaking, huh? Well, in any case, I've been considering finding someone who could do a history of art for me.
I have all the source material here. Gold and silver work from every country in the world. Illuminated books from Ireland and France. Armor work and tapestries from Italy. Even porcelain from Cathay. I've rearranged my hoard a hundred times. By material, by period, by country of origin, even by size and price and subject matter depicted. I'm probably the world's foremost authority, and that implies a certain academic responsibility. Don't you think? I said nothing, and she scratched her snout. All right, be that way, she said, blinking. I've also composed a 28,000 stanza epic poem on the career of a great dragon of the elder days, whose name would mean nothing to you. No human has patience enough to sit through it, though, even if they could understand the language, and I don't have any dragons to recite it to. Extinction, like everything else, is a great waste of time. I could get upset about it, I suppose, and go out and devastate countrysides. But what would be the point? Speak to me, yellow beard, she rasped, fixing me with saurian but liquid eyes. Tell me what you've come for. Did you come for treasure, or did you come to be a hero? If it's just the treasure, we could probably come to an arrangement of some kind and part as friends. Can I be frank with you? I'm no longer a young dragon. I suppose I simply lost my taste for a fight. I could kill you. Heaven knows I've done that sort of thing before. But I ask myself, what would be the gain? A meal, granted. But my taste runs more to goats nowadays. And lately I've had a strong sense of the futility of all earthly endeavors. When you're my age, which you never will be, you'll realize that nothing's really worth the trouble. I've never devoured a man or a woman without thinking that. Could they but know it? I was doing them a favor. I'm the last dragon, you know. In all the world it's me alone. Then hey-ho for the bestiaries. I can count to one, the old man volunteered. Of course that's my peculiar charm for the adventurer, isn't it? The dragon continued. If you want to be a worm slayer, I'm your last chance. After hundreds of years of the greatest blood sport in the world, one prize remains for one last lucky hero. But think, have you really pondered the responsibility? We're fellow pilgrims, you and I. Man and dragon have ridden the same horse these many years. We've had our differences, to be sure, but we've required one another for all that. You've provided treasure and protein for us, and we've given you profit, not without honor, sport, and a convenient symbol for evil incarnate. And now you come, sword in hand, to say, the ride ends here. Do you really think you have the right? One is the second number, said the old man. No, it isn't, I found myself saying. Then I bit my tongue. I swear I didn't mean to speak, but I was trying to think, and he was irritating me. Oh, tis so, the old man answered. The first number is nothing. You have a voice after all, said the dragon. Dragons can't smile, but a smile seemed to be the idea. Welcome to the conversation. I only scowled and cursed myself inwardly. She brought her head forward, radiating heat that had me sweating. One final dragon. She almost whispered. Shouldn't there be one final dragon somewhere? 
It's not as if I were burning villages and devouring virgins at present. I dwell far from human habitations, and I don't see how I'll be a threat to anyone in your lifetime. Would you eat your seed grain or butcher your stud bull? Of course not. You don't want to end the line. Think how much human adventure I'd take with me if I went. What but a dragon can a man slay with a really clean conscience? Life's a pretty bland banquet, without some spice of evil after all. Don't you agree? I felt power in the great yellow eyes. It was a power new to me. A power of pain and ancient despair. Her claw stretched forward. The silver belt gleamed before my eyes. Take this, she said. Take it as a token and enter my service. Do you seek honor? Take glory instead. I'll make you the knight of the dragon. My heart pounded as I reached out to receive the belt with my free left hand. I had seen the thing I had come for in those lizard eyes. I knew what I must do. The claw withdrew, clasped a jeweled golden chalice, and reached out to me again. Take this too, and be my friend, the dragon said. Friendship is a transaction. I took it and stuffed it under my arm. You'll live in the hall and be my protector, said the great beast. I'll give you gifts and teach you forbidden secrets. Then I'll send you on adventures, and you'll fetch more treasure, and we'll divide the profits. You'll live like a king and be the greatest knight in the world, and to hell with what anybody thinks. Agreed. You offered me all I need, I said. Me too, said the old man, head waggling. Then go in peace, friend said the dragon. I turned my back. It happened just as I expected. At the first sound of stretching membrane and clattering treasure, I dropped my bobbles and turned back with my sword. Hans had known what he was talking about. I nearly got crushed in her final convulsions. But when it was over, I climbed the golden pile and contemplated my handiwork. My dragon. The smoke of her blood stung my eyes. I noticed that the old man still crouched on his perch. I spoke to him for lack of a better audience. She was right about one thing, I said. It does trouble me to have taken the last dragon. Mm, don't worry about it, he said, grinning and unconcerned. Everybody knows dragons are wonderful liars. And that was our story. I hope you liked it. The Part of the Dragon was narrated by Kristen Norman. My first time through this story, I really thought our hero was going to go along with the dragon. 
His moment of valor was sudden and unexpected. I find myself wondering if particularly heroic moments in everyday life are not also sudden and expected moments of moral clarity. Be sure to head over to LarsWalker.com for even more great stories from Lars Walker. Before we go, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network. For more great content and community, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Please remember to join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find us, and tell your friends. As we sign off, I want to introduce you to music from Rick Lee James. Rick is a friend of the show and podcasts regularly on the Voices in My Head podcast. He'll be a guest in our next episode. But his latest album will be releasing on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Closing out our show is the song, Oh God, Our Help from the album Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Head over to rickleyjames.com to pre-order this great album. And yes, I have listened to all of it. Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman, reminding you, whatever you do, don't get into a discussion with the dragon.
Ah ho.